you would open your Bibles to John chapter 3. Typo in your bulletin, it's, we're going to begin in verse 1, not verse 11, and read down through verse 15. John chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. How there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night, and he said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who was born of the Spirit. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? Jesus answered him, Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know and bear witness to what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. If I had told you earthly things, and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask for help. Father, help us by your Spirit, Lord. Would you wreck in us what needs to be wrecked? And construct in us what needs to be constructed. Help us. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. We said last week when Jesus disrupted what was going on in the temple, that we had several clues to understanding what's going on in John's gospel. Clues embedded in that. Here we have everything on the surface. We don't need clues in this text. We, we have the substance. John is up front in his prologue that his gospel is a message of light breaking into darkness. Jesus is the light. The darkness is going to come against it, but it, it ultimately will not triumph. Christ, who is the light breaking into the darkness, will triumph. Here in a masterstroke of style, John presents a night. It's, it's dark. That's the setting. That's, the, that's what's going on here. The, the, the light is breaking into the darkness. He, he's using this metaphor for Christ 
the light breaking in, and here the metaphor is reality. This whole conversation happens in the backdrop of darkness. Last week we left off with Jesus not believing in those who believed in him only for the signs that he did. We we read this, but Jesus on his part did not entrust himself to them because he knew all people and needed no one to bear witness about man for he himself knew what was in man. That's fascinating because it, it leads to what's coming next, this conversation with Nicodemus. It's going to lead to another conversation with the Samaritan woman, a Gentile official, a man at the pool of Bethesda, and on and on it goes. In each of these encounters, Jesus is going to prove that he knows what's on the heart of man. He doesn't need anybody to instruct him. He knows the inner workings of our heart. We're so familiar with the beauty of John 3.16 that I think we kind of leave behind what comes before it. Sometimes we don't consider what God is doing with this conversation with Nicodemus. We're told in verse 1, now there was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This is the first and real Nick at night. Here it is. John tells us two important things about Nicodemus right up front. First, he's a Pharisee. Pharisees are devout. They're the most religious, most conservative men of their day. Not only is Nicodemus a Pharisee, but secondly, we see that he's a ruler of the Jews. That means that not only is he a Pharisee, but he sits on the ruling council. He, he pulls weight. He, he rules in Jerusalem, in Israel. The Pharisees were a minority sect on the Sanhedrin, but they pull a lot of weight. People wanted to hear from them. They wanted their opinion. They wanted to get, how would Nicodemus think about this or that thing? Further, in verse 9, Jesus asks a question which further highlights who he is. Are you the teacher of Israel, and yet you do not understand these things? Not a teacher of Israel. Are you the teacher of Israel? This guy stood out. He was a well-known point on a line. Everybody knew who Nicodemus was. And if you were a religious person in this day, which they, they all were, they would say, look at Nicodemus. Be like him. He's a ruler. He's a Pharisee. And he's the teacher of Israel. Scrupulous. Rigorous. He... he at least in the eyes of his contemporary, he, he, he understood the scriptures. He understood the word of God. That's him. That's who's seeking Jesus out. He's not just any Pharisee. He's that Pharisee. He's a devout leader. A thought leader. A religious leader. No doubt, zero doubt, he captured the attention of people. Hopefully, as I read the text today, you were a little bit bewildered. It should be a little bit bewildering. 
But I don't think Nicodemus is bewildered in the way that you and I might be. I don't think he's bewildered because he misunderstood Jesus. I think he's bewildered because he understood Jesus perfectly. He understood what was being told to him. That was bewildering. He takes, Jesus takes Nicodemus' whole life. If, if you view his life as a building, Jesus takes a wrecking ball and smashes it. That's what this pe- passage is about. It's about a wrecking ball coming against the life of Nicodemus and probably against you and me as well. Why would Jesus do this? Why would he smash the life of Nicodemus like this, dismantling his whole worldview brick by brick? It's because if Nicodemus is ever going to be his disciple and not just see him as rabbi, but Lord and Christ and the very Son of God and Son of Man come to earth, if he's ever going to bow the knee, Jesus first has to dismantle his faulty view of salvation, of good works. His whole life at every level has to be dismantled because Nicodemus thinks he's got it. He's good enough. He's the answer guy. His whole worldview is oriented around this principle that I can do it. I can accomplish this. Our faulty view of self must be dismantled by the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's exactly what's going on here. If we're ever going to bow the knee to this king, we have to see that we can't accomplish it. This text is about rebirth, being born again. And I haven't lived on this earth a a real long time, but I've lived long enough to hear that phrase and uh, know that it's just this kind of cultural thing. It's just kind of taken a a life of its own. But let's, let's not even let that distract us from what's going on in the text. There's three wrecking balls here and a construction project. Three wrecking balls. Wrecking ball one, new birth. We meet this famous man and he comes to Jesus at night and says, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. I don't think Nicodemus is being disingenuous. He's leaning into Jesus. No doubt he's one of the ones who saw the signs of Jesus taking all the commerce out of the temple. Like, this is a house of prayer. This is not Walmart. Zero question Nicodemus saw that, and he knew what had gone on. And he he comes to him curious about who he is. We know that you are a teacher come from God. His certainty about the identity of Jesus isn't full. He calls him rabbi. This is where Jesus operates this first wrecking ball, taking aim directly at his certainty. We know. We know who you are. Jesus answered him, truly, truly, 
I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. He's certain we know who you are, rabbi, teacher. Unless you're born again, you can't see anything. Jesus is telling Nicodemus that he must be born again, that is, born from above if he is to see the kingdom of God. This new birth is a theme throughout John's gospel, and we already heard it in the prologue, but to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. This is exactly the theme that Jesus is pointing out. This is the birth that you need, not your own will, not your own work, God's work. One commentator put it like this, to be born again is nearly equivalent to the verb to live or to the noun life in the fourth gospel. And it means to become part of the dawning new creation that will ultimately be fulfilled in the eternal new cosmos. It's big. This birth is massive. And this is the birth that you have to have or you will not see and you will not know anything of the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying what Nicodemus thinks he sees is not really there. You don't really see Nicodemus. He's telling this thought leader of the Jews, a Pharisee, that he needs a whole new life. Think about that for a minute. That's why I spent so long talking about who Nicodemus is. Because Jesus comes in and says, you need to be born again. You, conservative Pharisee, leader, ruler, man of status, you got to be born again. This is the real Jesus. This is the real thing. This is what he does. He knows the heart of man and he comes in to wreck it. To shatter false foundations and false ideologies. To smash idols and to reveal himself. This is what Jesus does. This is what he's still doing today. His spirit is still at work tearing us apart. In our daily lives, have you been torn apart? Has your sense of your own self-reputation been torn apart? In school, in your job, in your relationships, your sense of who you are and your thoughts of God, have those just been wrecked? The wrecking ball of Jesus comes at Nicodemus like that. Nicodemus has all the answers and Jesus comes at him and says, you don't. You don't have all the answers. You need to be born from above. You have to be completely new. You need to be a new person, Nicodemus. And to us, Grace Press today, it's, it's still shouting. We need to be made new from above. How is Nicodemus going to respond to this? Look at verse 4. Nicodemus said to him, How can these things be? 
How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Nicodemus is confused. He's bewildered. He's thinking of this in in totally natural ways. Like what you're asking me, Jesus, is impossible. And that is exactly the point. It's impossible. I can't do it. So then Jesus doesn't explain. He doesn't take it to the natural level that Nicodemus wants to. He hits him with another wrecking ball. He doubles down. The the news was already bad for Nicodemus, but it's about to get worse. Look at 5 and 6. Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Again, it's very unlikely that Nicodemus misunderstood Jesus. He hears him loud and clear saying, you need a powerful work of God in you or you're not going to change. He would have recognized this water and the spirit being jammed together just as God did in creation. You have the waters of the deep and the spirit of God hovering over those waters and then power and glory and creation. Nicodemus would have understood that. He would have understood this water and spirit connection being present with the people of Israel as God is establishing his child, bearing them by his own presence through the waters and out of slavery. He would have caught the connection. He he likely would have remembered Ezekiel 36 where God promises, I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean, and I will give you a new heart, and I will put my spirit within you. He wrecks Nicodemus with this truth, that this is the kind of power that it takes for you to be born. This is what is needed, Nicodemus. Here we have this embedded second response of Nicodemus, where we see Jesus in verse 7, do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. At this point, his mouth is simply flopped open. He's marveling. There's no written response. There's only the response of Jesus, pick your jaw up. He, He just can't believe it. He's being wrecked. I need all of this. Jerem Barr says, it's impossible in this fallen world for that which is merely human to please God. Only that life which has its origin in the work of God's spirit can enter his presence, end quote. Everything in Nicodemus's life screams that he will be okay with God because he's the expert. Jesus comes in and says, no, you're not good enough. You don't know enough, Nicodemus. You have no part in the kingdom unless God is at work. Jesus isn't done. He makes it more simple and more plain in verse 8. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. 
Okay, this whole being born again thing, if there was any chance of it being real for Nicodemus or him achieving it, Jesus takes it completely away. He says, you have nothing to do with it. Can you control the wind? If you've ever tried to fly a kite on a windless day, you know the exact futility that he's speaking of here. I've been there. I've done that. What do you do when there's no wind and you're trying to fly a kite? What do you do? You run, right? You run. You're trying to impose wind on the kite. So the question becomes, how long can you run? Because that's how long you're going to fly your kite. You cannot control the wind. You don't know where it comes from. You don't know where it's going. You simply feel it. That is exactly what he's saying about salvation. That is what Jesus is saying about new birth. You, Nicodemus, you cannot control it. You, Grace Prez, cannot control the wind. Now Nicodemus goes from incredulity to to, to blank shock. Nicodemus said to him, how can these things be? What's the point of all this deconstruction? Why does Jesus have to do this? Jesus knows with sharp clarity of the Son of God that Nicodemus has to be a new person. He knows that each of us in here have to be made new. We all need this spirit-empowered transformation. In his book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis picks up on this idea. He says, quote, if I'm a field that contains nothing but grass seed, I cannot produce wheat. Cutting the grass may keep it short, but it shall not still produce grass and no wheat. If I want to produce wheat, the change must go deeper than the surface. I must be plowed up and resown. end quote. We have to be utterly upended. This is a work of regeneration. This is a work of the Spirit of God. Another wrecking ball. In the face of this incredulity, and that's the last time we'll hear Nicodemus speak here. He kind of drops out. We just hear Jesus. Truly, truly, I say to you, we speak of what we know. And bear witness of what we have seen, but you do not receive our testimony. Just as Nicodemus speaks in this plural in his opening argument, we, we know this is a collective knowledge. Jesus here employs the exact same thing. We speak, we know, we bear witness, we have seen. The the thing is, it's certain. There are witnesses. At the very bottom, Nicodemus' failure is not one of the mind. It's not one of the intellect. It's failure to believe in Jesus bearing witness of himself. To punctuate this point, verse 12 adds, If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how can you believe if I tell you heavenly things? 
Jesus is saying very simple things about the kingdom. He's giving Nicodemus the ABCs. I just taught you ABC. If you're not getting ABC, how are you going to learn to read? Here's here's, Here's the bottom of it. And this is for all of us. Nicodemus, you have a problem that you cannot fix. You are powerless to affect the change that you need. Again, this is true of each and every one of us. Like Nicodemus, we we want the details. We we want to to know what what we think about Jesus. We want everything to be right in our minds, but we want control. We want control. And Jesus is saying, this is completely and utterly out of your control, Nicodemus. You're a Pharisee. You have all this going for you. And Jesus utterly dismantles and said, none of that matters. Not your reputation. Not your goodness. Not your morals. None of that matters. You have to be reborn. And that is impossible for you to do. So there he is. His life is now rubble. What he thought he was and all the good things he thought about himself is now utterly dismantled. It's torn down. And that's where Jesus again comes to construct. He comes to build. The first way he begins building back is to tell Nicodemus the source of this authoritative word. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. What in the world does that mean? Jesus is saying, if you really want to know about the kingdom of God. It's not going to be from somebody down here who went to heaven and then can come back and tell you all about it. That person doesn't exist. He says, if you want to know truth about the kingdom of heaven, listen to the one who is descended from heaven. He's saying, listen to me. I know heaven because I came from there. That's where we have to find truth. He's saying, you're never going to find it looking here. You're not going to find it looking with your earthly eyes. You're not going to find it through your own wisdom. You need to listen to the voice that has come from heaven. Who is the one who descended? Who is the one come from heaven? He says he's the son of man. This is another thing that I think Nicodemus would have immediately heard, and sometimes uh, maybe it's hard for us to hear. He, he, He immediately recognized the Son of Man language as coming from Daniel chapter 7, in which the fierce ancient of days comes to the Son of Man and gives him a kingdom. And we read this, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man, and there he is. And he came to the ancient of days and was presented before him. 
And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. He's vast, he's big, he's cosmic. And Jesus is saying to Nicodemus, that's who you need, that's him. This glorious son of man. It's remarkable. His kingdom is eternal. It's vast. Another piece of construction Jesus gives to him. Look. Look. Believe. Verses 14 and 15, and as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. He utterly smashes him down. He, he, he destroys, he wrecks Nicodemus' own worldview. And then he says two things. You need the Son of Man, and look. Believe. comes from this notable story that we heard read earlier in Israel's history. There they are wandering in the desert. There they are again complaining, grumbling against Moses and ultimately against God. And God says, okay, okay, I'll give you your worldview. God sends a plague of snakes. Often the judgment of God is revealed to be nothing more than the substance of our belief. Like you want something to complain about here. These serpents are bad. They're called fiery. Because they bite you and you die. You get sick and you die. That's what the text says. They begin falling ill and dying. The whole nation is snake bitten and slowly dying. The people come to Moses again and say, we messed up. We sinned. Help us. The Lord commissions Moses to make this fiery serpent and put it on a pole and set it in the middle of the camp where everybody who looks at the pole and sees the bronze serpent, just look and you'll live. Isn't that interesting? Look at the object of your death. Look at the object of your own death lifted up over there, and you will live. Look on that thing that was meant to kill you. Look at that thing that bit you, and you'll live. We don't have time to get into to all of it today. This is the construction project that Jesus is doing. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. He's telling Nicodemus, look at the death of the Son of Man and live. What does this lead to in the life of Nicodemus? We don't know anybody's spiritual condition on earth fully. But we have some more facts in John's gospel. We'll see him again in John chapter 7 when they're, they're wanting to put Jesus on trial in the Pharisees and Nicodemus speaks up and says, 
Should we really prosecute someone without really knowing them and hearing them out? And at that point, they don't take them to trial. And then we see Nicodemus one more time. Do you know where it is? Most of the disciples are scattered. We're told that John hangs around the cross. But when Jesus dies, Joseph of Arimathea takes him and Nicodemus comes bringing 75 pounds of spices to anoint his body. His proximity to Jesus is there. He's following. Have you been wrecked by Jesus? Have your notions of who you are before him been wrecked so that he can then come back and reconstruct you in this way? Have you looked at the glorious Son of Man who is lifted up for you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the ways that you deconstruct us. We pray that you would do that so that we would believe your gospel, so that we would simply look with eyes of faith at what should have been our death, but you, Jesus, took it for us. Dismantle our idols. Dismantle all that we think we know. And replace it with you. With truth. Lord, if anyone here is seeking their own way to you, their own way to glory, would you be working, dismantling, and rebuilding? Pray it all in Christ's name. Amen.